0: morning, our New Testament reading is found in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 1 and reading through to verse 24. Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter mentioned, motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod had did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish.
1: Well, we're going to spend a bit more time looking at that second passage that Sue's just read for us now. So if you've got your Bibles there, please keep them open at Acts chapter 12. And as I said, there will be a chance for questions a bit later on. So if you have any questions on the way through, uh, just save them up and we can discuss them later. Let's pray though. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on this part of your word, that it will show us who you are, that it will help us to trust in your goodness, your strength, your love, and that we will uh, relate to you, to each other and to others uh, accordingly to that. To trust these things about you and to live lives of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2020 in July, so just over, uh, just, well just under two years ago I suppose, in the city, a woman named Hannah was catching up with a friend for lunch in a cafe and they were reading the Bible and praying together over lunch. And when they were finished and they went to pray, uh, the owner of the cafe confronted Hannah. She pulled her aside and she accused her of brainwashing her friend because they were reading the Bible and praying together. And she banned her. And and, and the the owner banned her from ever coming back to the cafe again. And as you can imagine, for Hannah and for her friend, it was quite a a, a troubling and and painful experience. And now I don't know how you... uh, think about when you hear that what you think about when you hear that I guess the first thing that I notice is that on the scale of persecution for being a Christian it's not really quite up there with the kind of things that we hear happening around the world and in history where Christians are being killed and having uh, property confiscated and so on and yet because it is so much closer to home like it's here in Australia and because it's the kind of thing that we can potentially imagine happening to us and perhaps because of its part seems like part of a a rising tide of growing opposition that we see happening in our culture around us it seems more significant you know it feels like you know that's that's something that could happen to us you might have uh, noticed over the last couple weeks uh, there was recently a a bill put before parliament that was intended to protect Christians and other people of faith against that kind of persecution that that Hannah faced Um, and it failed. And if you've been only following that in the media, then you could be forgiven for thinking that the purpose of that bill was to allow Christians and other people of faith to be able to persecute other people rather than to protect Christians from persecution, which was its purpose, people like Hannah. But because there was a a campaign of disinformation in the media about it uh, to paint Christians as the villains and, and, and that worked, the bill failed. And it just kind of adds to that sense of growing opposition that is happening in the culture around us. As I said, that it does feel like a wave that is growing and has the potential to be sweeping over us and that there's nothing we can do about it. And as you see those things happening, whether to people that you know or things that you see happening in the media, I wonder how that makes you feel or when you see things happening in the world around us, the persecution that Christians face, I wonder how that makes you feel. This series in the book of Acts that we're doing at the moment is called The Unstoppable Gospel. But as you hear things like that happening, and as you read about what's happened in the book of Acts, um, in, in chapter 12 that we've just read, I wonder if it feels unstoppable to you, or whether it feels very much stoppable. We're going to hear what this passage has to say about that. So let's have a look at it. Well, the first thing we're going to see in this chapter is that powerful opposition can harm God's people. And if you were living in the days of Acts chapter 12 that we've just read about here, you could be forgiven for being fairly concerned about what happens in the start of this chapter. I mean, have a look again with me from verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword and when he saw that this met with approval from the Jews he proceeded to seize Peter also. Without any kind of warning, without any kind of dramatic build-up James is dead. James, one one of the three key leaders of the church just gone like that if you've read the gospels you know that Jesus had 12 uh, close followers the apostles but within those 12 there was an inner circle of three Peter James and John and now one of them James is dead just like that and it looks like Peter is heading in the same direction there's no kind of warning there's no opportunity even for the church to kind of rally together and do something about it he's just dead and gone and you can imagine the news of this, can't you, kind of spreading shockwaves throughout the, the community of believers as they hear what's happened to James. You know, there had been persecutions in the past in Acts, we've heard that. But the last we heard about the persecutions was at the end of chapter 9, so two chapters earlier, was that there was none. This is how chapter 9 ends in verse 31. It says, "...the church was enjoying a time of peace and was strengthened." They were living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and it increased in numbers. So the message of Jesus was spreading. There were churches popping up everywhere and the last we heard about persecution was that there was none. They were enjoying a time of peace. But what we discover now in the beginning of chapter 12 is that it was just a period of peace. It has come to an end now. In this single moment, that peace that they are enjoying is gone. At the hands of a new persecutor by the name of Herod. Now, you you might know that that name Herod kind of has fairly significant overtones. There were successive generations of Herods, King Herods. This Herod that we read about here was the grandson of Herod the Great, who is famous kind of in our books for killing all the babies in Bethlehem, trying to wipe out the threat of the baby Jesus in the the Christmas story. And this Herod is the nephew of the Herod who executed John the Baptist and was also involved in the execution of Jesus. So he very kind of fits very much in in the family tradition of Herods. And without any warning, without any reason given, he unleashes this devastating attack against the church and you can imagine this hits them like a freight train. There's no kind of dramatic build-up, at least for us, as we're following along. It's just one short sentence and James is dead. That's how easy it was for Herod to turn this peace into a crisis. And while we're kind of still reeling from the news, and I'm sure while the church is still reeling from the news, he seizes Peter also, tries to take out the next pillar of the church. And again, there is nothing stopping him. Herod's actions against Peter seem just as easy as they were against James and just as likely to end up in the same result as what happened to James. This seems like a systematic attempt to destroy the church by taking out its leaders. It seems like a good strategy and it's working. James is gone. It looks like Peter is next. He's in prison. He's awaiting trial, expecting execution. The situation looks hopeless. Herod's attack on the church is targeted it's powerful and it's popular he's got the muscle to do what he wants and as I said it was a popular decision it was a popular action everyone that says there was was pleased by what Herod was doing I mean did you notice that and it occurs to me as I think about this that when you look at persecution from a distance from the outside whether across the world or back in time the wrongness of it just seems obvious right? It seems so unjust and unjustifiable, but so often in the moment it has popular support. That's why it happens. That's why people can get away with it, because the opposition either has power or popular support or both, whether it's people like Herod who appeal to the powerful majority or the popular bully at school who picks on the Christian kid or the media that controls the narrative and pushes its own agenda, or the popular culture that villainizes Christians and Christian living and makes Christians out to be the bad guys. Persecution is often popular in the moment. And in our part of the world and in our moment in history, we have not experienced the kind of crisis that the church in Acts 12 was experiencing here. I think that's pretty clear. You know, we've had peace, we've had freedom, we've even had influence. But it may be that our time of peace, like it was for the church here before this chapter, it may be that our time of peace is also coming to an end. That the tide is turning. That there is a groundswell of rising opposition. When I was a, a kid. Christians had the reputation, I mean, if you can think back, if you're you know, more than a few decades old, what was the reputation that, that Christians had? Boring do-gooders was probably, I think, the, the overwhelming accusation that would have been levelled against Christians and the bullying maybe was focused at that level. But that's changing. These days the accusation against Christians is that you're a bad person, that Christianity is a blight on society that must be taken out removed or at least contained as much as possible and as I was reflecting on this since the last time I spoke on this passage which is about five years ago the amount of legal action and workplace discrimination against Christians has increased significantly and I'm no prophet but it may be that in our lifetime Christians do begin to face jail simply for being faithful to Jesus And again, we're nowhere near the kind of persecution that happens in other parts of the world and has happened throughout history. But still, in the face of powerful and popular opposition, we can feel powerless and intimidated. How much more so for this early church that was facing this attack from Herod? Almost overnight, they've gone from a time of peace and growing and everything is going well to crisis. And the church is powerless to stop it. Powerful opposition can harm God's people. But the point of this chapter and the next point that we're going to see now is that God is not powerless. That even the most powerful and intimidating opposition cannot defeat God. And that is so important for us to know. See, up till this point we've been hearing about Herod and the massive problem that he is for the church. But then in verse 5, we just get that, that little line. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You know, the church might be powerless, but God is not. And so they call on God to act, and that's exactly what God does. This makes the very best efforts. What happens next makes the very best efforts of Herod seem like child play. Did you see the efforts that Herod went to to try and protect Peter's imprisonment? Four squads of four soldiers, 16 soldiers guarding one man. He's locked inside a prison, several layers of prison, and even chained between two guards. There's layers of guards at various points. So there's chains, guards, prison doors, guards, guards. Herod is not taking any chances. He's giving Peter the maximum security treatment. But God makes that look like child's play. As easy as it was for Herod to kill James and to imprison Peter, it was even easier for God to release Peter. See what happens? The chains just fell off Peter's wrists. The layers of guards, I mean, who knows where they were? They were nowhere to be seen. The, the, The prison doors just open by themselves. It couldn't be any easier. It's child's play. It reminds me, when I was a kid, we had a a box of dress-up clothes, and amongst those was a dress-up police uniform, right, you know, plastic police helmet, plastic uh, police badge, plastic handcuffs, and we used to kind of play at locking each other up in the plastic handcuffs, except there was a button on the inside of the handcuffs that you could just unlock them just by pressing the button. It kind of feels like that's what's happened with all of Herod's attempts to keep Peter in prison. This serious enemy of God's people looks like he's playing with plastic handcuffs. Peter is free. The guards are bewildered. Herod is left looking foolish. But the story is not over yet. As we continue into the second half of the chapter, we get another incident with Herod and we see that Herod's desire for praise and power shows itself again in his altercation with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But when he puts himself in the place of God and accepts praise as a God, the true God steps in and puts him in his place and strikes him dead. And it's no accident that these two episodes about Herod are together in chapter 12 because what they do is they show us a complete reversal, don't they, of the situation from the beginning to the end. I mean, think about it. It starts with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. And it ends with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. And have a look at the summary that you get in the last verse of our section, in verse 24, the, end, the way the Herod saga ends. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That's the result of this massive attack against the church. It looks like a situation that focuses on Peter and James, but really the focus is on the spread of the gospel, which is unstoppable. See, the purpose of the peace and the safety and the freedom from persecution that we want and that we pray for and that we should pray for is not just so that you don't have to get a hard time at work or at school or amongst your friends or that you don't have to feel the pressure that you might get on social media the intimidation that can come from that. The purpose is that the word of God can continue to spread and flourish. And the message couldn't be clearer. As powerless as we might feel in the face of intimidating opposition, God is not powerless. God is not intimidated. And whatever happens, God's plans cannot be thwarted. And this is so important to know because there will be ebbs and flows in how things look from our perspective. There will be times of peace and there will be times of intense opposition like there was in Acts. This wasn't the first time things had happened like that in in Acts and, and it wasn't the last time. But the message is clear. This is no challenge to God or to his plans and so we should not let fear rule us. There will be James moments when James was killed. That was a significant time and it looked like defeat. How easy and popular it was for Herod. But even that was no defeat for God or for James for that matter. I mean, he went to be with the Lord. From the big picture of, of chapter 12, we see that God was in control even in the James moment. And we need to know that for our situation too. Our trouble is that we live in a particular moment in time and a particular place in the world and we can't look into the future and to see where things might lead and we often forget to look back and to see how God has acted in the past and to trust that. And so we might feel that the flow of history is against us. We might feel like we're in danger of being washed away by the current and maybe we are coming into something of a James moment. We might see devastation before we see miraculous rescue. But whatever moment we are in, we must resist the temptation to think that our little moment in history is any indication that God's plans for the world, that he has been uh, carrying out for thousands of years, that it's any indication that those could be failing. God is working to spread his kingdom. And the challenge of our particular moment can never threaten that. And that should give us courage. It should give us Peace, it should give us freedom from anxiety, it should give us confidence. What feels like the current that's about to sweep us away is just the tide that comes and goes. The ocean will always be there. There will be James moments, just as there will be Peter moments. There will be times of peace, just as there will be times of persecution. There will be times of expansion and even times of devastation. But God cannot be defeated even in the face of powerful and intimidating opposition. Now, Our final point that I think we must see in this passage is that God works powerfully through the prayers of his people. Did you see that? Come back with me again to verse 5. And notice how this verse draws kind of the battle lines between Herod and between God's people and the weapons that each of them have. So verse 5 says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church of God was earnestly praying for him. Yeah, Peter had, sorry, Herod had all the physical and political power that he could possibly need. He can kill James and, and, and lock Peter in prison just like that. And the church can't do anything about that. They don't have any political influence, they don't have any social influence, they don't have any military power. All they have is prayer. And it can be easy to think about it that, like that, isn't it? You know, all, this, all we have, you know that expression that people sometimes say, all that we can do now is pray, which is kind of a defeatist attitude as if we don't really have anything left to do and so we might as well just pray. That's not at all the kind of picture that we see here. This is drawing the battle lines between Herod and the church and they're both pulling for their best weapons. Herod is doing his thing by locking Peter in prison and the church is doing their thing with earnest prayer. But in the moment, it just seems like such a hopeless mismatch. You know, that expression, turning up to a gunfight with a knife. It seems like the church is turning up to a gunfight with a toy gun, like the toy gun from my, my police dress-up outfit. It just seems like they've come with the wrong equipment for the kind of battle that they're facing, the kind of opposition that they're facing. But everything that we see from then on shows just how wrong that kind of thinking is turns out that this is not Herod versus the church it's Herod versus God and so prayer is powerful Peter has nothing to do with it and the angel has to kick him to wake him up and and tell him how to get dressed like a two-year-old and he doesn't even think what is happening is real and the rest of the church can't take any credit for it either they didn't even believe it when it had happened almost everyone in this chapter ends up looking foolish because this is all God's doing Which is why prayer is such a powerful thing prayer is not the last resource of people who have no other options prayer is the best resource that we have because we are calling on a powerful god to act and that is so much better than anything that we can do and you know as i as i hear even my hear myself say that yeah i believe that but so often my temptation is to reach for those other things that I can do first. You know, when you're in the moment, prayer doesn't seem like the most powerful, the most effective thing that I could be doing. And maybe we think that we just need something more immediate, something more practical, something more useful. But no, prayer is our best weapon because we are calling on a powerful God to act. And because it's God that we are asking, we should pray big. We should pray for what seems impossible. I mean, imagine how impossible Peter's release from prison must have seemed for the people who were praying for him, particularly after what had just happened to James and particularly after the kind of security that was around Peter. And you've got to feel for poor Rhoda, don't you, when when she goes to tell everyone that Peter's been released? She's the only one that believes that Peter has been rescued and they just keep shouting her down. You're crazy. Maybe they were maybe they were just praying that you know peter would die well you know that he would trust jesus to the end that's the kind of prayer that i can imagine praying in that sort of situation because his release surely that's impossible whatever they were praying clearly god's answer was far more than they were expecting they didn't believe it even when it happened you know that's exactly what god says he can do through our prayers. In fact, when he tells us to pray in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Not just more, immeasurably more. Not just what you ask for, but even what you can imagine. God can do immeasurably more than that. I mean, have a think about that. God's power to do is immeasurably more than even your imagination of what to ask for so pray big pray for the impossible i mean think about what that could look like pray that god will act so powerfully in our cultural moment that the goodness of trusting jesus will just become clear to everyone around us that our words, that our actions, that our love will break through and change hearts and bring glory to Jesus and bring people into his kingdom. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let's pray that. Pray that those who oppose us will be converted, that they too will be found singing the praises of Jesus now and on that last day. I mean, that's what God did to the most significant persecutor of the church, the, what became the Apostle Paul. The greatest persecutor of the church became the greatest advocate of Jesus. He can do that. Nothing is too hard for God. And I guess also to turn our attention to our our particular moment that we see happening in the world around us, to what's happening in the Ukraine, pray big prayers for the Ukraine. Pray for peace that might seem impossible when you see just how overwhelming the Russian army seems. Pray for safety for those who are fleeing and for those who are attacked. Again, pray that God will be glorified in what's happening in that situation, in the lives of believers. That that believers there will stay faithful in suffering. That they will love in remarkable ways, and we're already hearing news of that kind of thing coming out of there. That they will share Jesus with the people around them. But who knows what God could be doing even in this terrible moment? So pray, because nothing is beyond God's ability to answer your prayer. And I have to say, as I read about these kind of things, this is such a rebuke to my timid prayers, my safe prayers, the kind of prayers that I pray about things that I expect will probably happen anyway, and my slowness to pray. God can do immeasurably more than even what we can imagine. So pray big prayers. Pray impossible prayers, because nothing is impossible for God. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, it is easy to feel overwhelmed um, in our particular moment or as we see other things going on and to think that the, the powers that are at work around us are the most significant factors at play, but help us, Father, to trust that that is not the case, that you are the almighty creator and that nothing is beyond your power. And so we do pray, Father, that in our moment and uh, throughout the world, that you will act powerfully to shine the light of Jesus from us and into the hearts of the people around us, that the goodness of the good news of Jesus will be clear for people to see, that you'll be transforming hearts and lives and bringing your kingdom, that you'll be bringing peace in our world, and that ultimately, Father, that your kingdom will come and it will come soon. Father, make us to be bold prayers, not just now, but throughout our lives, that we'll be people who who depend and rely on your greatness through prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.